Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this night You've given us and those that You've placed on their heart to be here and many prayer requests that have been lifted up together. And as we go through this week, that we would remember each other, uh, the words that were spoken, uh, that You would help us to be uh, just a family, uh, your, your church family here, and that uh, we would continue to grow closer together, but that You would use us to be light in this community as we speak of Paul's missionary journeys, that uh, that example of reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ would be more than just something we learn about, something we do in our daily life as well. Be with our children, our teenagers, as they're learning the Word of God tonight. And uh, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being willing to move around a little bit. Give you a few seconds to get back. And as you're doing that, turn to Acts chapter 14. Brother Rick has just done a wonderful job with this series. Uh, who does not like the, uh, the missionary journeys, right? This is fun stuff. The book of Acts, you could teach and teach and teach in here uh, for years. You could go back and do it over and over again. Um, Paul, I'm, just to recap a couple things here. Uh, Paul uh, goes on three missionary journeys. Some people believe four uh, and each journey we will see, we're in the first one, has a different emphasis um, and sort of provided a great blueprint for missions uh, for the rest of, of time. The first one, we see this pioneer missionary. Uh, he's going to unevangelized, completely unevangelized, untapped fields. Um, now, this is a contrast to uh, many of today's missionaries because he doesn't go to remote groups. Now we're in the we're in the point now, and we support Brother Jonathan that's here with us for these these months while his his kids are getting acclimated to uh, college, and they're going to the least reached groups of the the southern cone of Brazil and Argentina and Uruguay down there, uh, because the big cities have had missions for over a hundred years. Well, he's going to cities. For the very first time. So he doesn't go to these small villages. In fact, if you, if you were to look, I didn't put the map up, but if there is a map showing his stops, as Brother Rick has mentioned, they were major hubs. They were along the Roman road system. And uh, you can go into all kinds of things through history uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how the ma major empires went back and forth and how they created these roads that allowed the gospel then to be spread. They thought they were creating their, their massive empire, and God was saying, yeah, keep laying those roads, keep laying those roads, and you're just going to let me be able to spread the gospel doing this. So they weren't, he wasn't going to you know the jungles or some mountain village He's going to major cities. They were trade routes. And this allowed then the evangelism to spread from the city to go into the hills and the, the villages, like really like hot coals being spread, uh, spread with the wind. For example, uh, Paul plants uh, a church in the city of Ephesus. And from that grows the church, most people believe, Smyrna, Sardis, Pergamos, Philadelphia, Thyatira, Laodicea, Colossae, uh, Hierapolis, all of those most likely stemmed from the, the people that were saved in Ephesus. So this is, this is the method this first time. Did he know that was going to happen? Probably not. But he's going to these major cities. And each of these major cities have, as we saw last week, 
they have a synagogue. So you go to these major cities, you go first to these synagogues, and people have a set amount of Bible knowledge. The Old Testament, they knew it. So we see some quick converts through that, and then we see some of the Gentiles being saved as well. Uh, so that's, that's very interesting. Uh, you know, we go to remote areas today, they don't know the Word of God at all. A missionary is trying to define the word faith to others, uh, uh, what these different things mean. So this was a little different. Then the second missionary journey, which we'll learn about in a couple weeks, uh, actually next week, uh, we see now he's more of a planner missionary. He's still doing the planting, but this time he'll go back to some of these same mission churches and he'll strengthen the converts, uh, teaching them and helping them grow, giving them a vision for their surrounding areas. And then his third missionary journey is more preaching than he's, than he's planting. And Paul would, uh, went to the same places to ex- encourage, exhort them in an effort to build their faith. Uh, and all this was accompanied in his third journey with uh, the letters that were going out that we now read as the New Testament. And he's training young men as we see uh, Timothy and Titus and Aristarchus and Tychius. Tich- yeah, I can say that. And Luke, you know, Luke was probably in that group as well. He's training these men to now take over for him afterwards and go while he's in jail and, and all of those things. So tonight we get back to the first missionary journey. Uh, the team had gone to Cyprus, the, then Antioch of Pisidia, and now they're going to, we're going, tonight we're going to see Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and then back that way. So if you see where they started, all the way over on the right-hand side in Antioch in Syria, and then Brother Rick talked about last week, and the last two, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, down into Cyprus, and then last week up into Pamphylia, up into Pisidia, to, to Antioch, and then he's going back. He's going back east. But he doesn't stop there and go home to Tarsus for a while. And then they swing back. We'll see at the end of this chapter, they'll swing back and do the same route, which is an amazing thing after we see what happens to him. That they would even step foot in some of these cities again for their own life. So last week we saw Paul and Barnabas headed north to Antioch and Pisidia. Uh, this is uphill. This is, uh, they're on the coast, so you can just imagine this. They're on that coast, maybe diseased, as Brother, uh, Brother Rick was mentioning. Did he get malaria there? I don't know. I'd never heard that before. That's a very interesting thought that he was sick there because it doesn't mention that he preached there. But nonetheless, he's going north. And this, he goes up to Antioch, which was a strategic outpost along the Roman Imperial Highway. So that's an, that was an important city. Uh, I think it's also interesting... If you've ever heard me teach any on Acts, I just I bring this up every time because I just find this interesting. Uh, as you look at the book of Acts, it's really in two different pieces. Uh, Luke wrote this, you know, Dr. Luke wrote this, and there is a noticeable comparison. Uh, Brother Rick, did you mention this while I was out? I don't know if you did the comparison of Peter and Paul. I don't want to repeat if you did. Okay, good. All right. Um, I thought I saw all your lessons, but I, did, I just wanted to make sure. But we see here, Luke does this, this intentional, or the Holy Spirit had him do it. I, either way, I think it is intentional, where he's showing Peter and Paul. And he's showing this, this comparison. I think it's possibly to show Paul's apostleship uh, in this comparison, because no one 
even thought about Peter not being an apostle, but was Paul. You know, he, he spends a good deal of his time in some of his letters proving that point to them and saying that over and over again. So we see this, if you go to the next screen, um, we see this uh, different where the first sermon of Peter in great detail is mentioned. The first sermon of Paul, uh, which, was, which Brother Rick spoke about last week, in great detail. Tonight, we're going to see, just as Peter healed a lame man, we're going to see Paul does that. We have Simon the sorcerer, then Elymas the, or Bar-Jesus the sorcerer in chapter 13 last week, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we'll see how people were healed, just the influence of Peter's shadow, and then we'll see the handkerchief uh, of Paul. Uh, laying on of hands and the healings that went there. How uh, tonight we'll see this weird thing where the people are trying to worship him and no, 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 don't do that type thing. Uh, they both raised someone from the dead. They're both imprisoned. All of these comparisons that are, that are put there really to show Paul's apostleship, uh, in, in my opinion. And that's important because it, it gives validity to his message, which is mostly to the Gentiles. So that's why I feel that that's so important for us to understand. So, after Paul preached to the folks in Antioch, we see a trend that starts to, be, to begin here. Um, we finished with this last week, where the Jews responded, some, the Gentiles loved it, and they wanted more. And what happens? Jealousy comes in, Right? And the Jews saw Paul's popularity. It wasn't him. It was his message. But they respond out of envy and jealousy. And we talked about envy on Sunday night. You know, it is the opposite of charity. Corinthians uh, 13. The cross, uh, Pilate says that they did that out of jealousy. Uh, the Sanhedrin did. And... Um, we see this now with Paul. They not only shunned Paul's message, but contradicted it. And they blasphemed his message. They desired, this is the key here, they desired their power and their control so much. These are the religious leaders. They desired their power and control so much that they were willing to lie, cheat, and if they understood the gravity of this, they were willing for people to go to hell than to hear the message of the Gospel. That's what an indictment that is. And uh, we must always be careful that the Gospel is prevalent. It is the foremost message out of the Word of God as, as we present that and not something about ourselves. So, Paul and Barnabas, they make the critical decision here in chapter 14 to leave the synagogue and to go uh, to the Gentiles. And uh, they fulfill Isaiah 49.6 when it says, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the pre preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. In verse 48 of chapter 13, the Holy Ghost confirms their decision, which is always a comfort, right? When that happens, and it's time to move on. Uh, verses 51 through 52, they head 85 miles, as you saw on the map, southeast to Iconium. 
But uh, notice even with, without their, delete, their leaders, I, I love this, I'd never seen this, Brother Rick pointed this out, comparing verse 45 to verse 52. In 45, they were filled with envy, and uh, these are the, the Jewish leaders, but in 52, the, the new disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Never under, overestimate the power of God. And never overestimate the power of one man uh, to make a difference for the Lord. So let's begin in, in chapter 14. I won't repeat any more of that. Just wanted to give a little review so we knew where we were. And this begins uh, with the team, their third stop in Iconium. Okay? And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly. Get that again? Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done in their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Okay, we'll come back. So, the same thing that occurred in Antioch, we see now happens uh, in, in the Iconium as well. The Jews uh, become jealous and they rise up against them. This time though, they stay. It says they stayed there for a while. And what does the Lord allow them to have? The Lord allows them to have signs and wonders. Now this isn't around today. This is the, the purpose of this, we know, is because we have the full Scripture. Scripture is complete. They were speaking a message that, uh, that could be out of the Old Testament. They were proving this out of the Old Testament. And with this, it sort of validated the message that they were, that they were bringing. So that was the reason for the signs and wonders. And the city actually becomes divided over them. I don't know how big of a city this was at that time. I, I didn't do the research into that. But um, it became such a problem that by verses 5 and 6, they decide to leave the city. They had stayed there a while, a good period of time, more than they had stayed in Antioch. And, but they see here... now. What, what do we do in situations like that? We're, there are going to be some times where the message of the Gospel that you're presenting is not accepted. And there are times where you will stay, stay and you will speak. And uh, How many of you have had a family member that, that is lost and you've spoken to them? And uh, you know, there, there's that balance of when do I stop? When do I continue to speak? When do I leave a track with them or, or uh, give them a link to a message or you know, whatever it might be? And sometimes discretion is a better use than causing a situation to boil over. Uh, how do we know? Only wisdom and God's leading can guide you in this. There are no set rules for something like this. That's why the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we listen to the Holy Spirit as He guides us. 
It's not something mystical. I don't mean it that way. It's just a listening and a, and a stirring of your heart to, yes, I need to, I need to step forward or I need to step back in this situation. And this time, they decided in discretion to continue on. Now, there will be enough situations that are out of our control, right? So we have to ask ourselves this question, you know, how will this help others in my, in my life here if I, if, if I do this? Will I leave this person bankrupt? Will I leave this person to where there is no hope? Or do I need to continue to speak with them? Or is this just something that I'm trying to pad my ego with or my pride with? If so, if, there's, if that's the only thing to gain from that, you need to step aside and move on. And, uh, you know, I've, I can remember back one of the situations. We were out witnessing one time. I was still working with the teenagers, so this is a, this is a long time ago, but this, this never leaves my mind. Uh, I can even remember who my partner was that, that night. And it was in my neighborhood before I even lived in my neighborhood. I even know where the guy's house is. And I knocked on the door, and he wanted to argue. <laughs> and I should have lovingly changed the subject, steered it back to the Gospel, or just left. I didn't. I decided, yeah, I want to argue with this situation too. And it was just nonsense stuff. And um, it bothered me. The minute I left, I, my Holy, the Holy Spirit just gripped me that that was wrong. That was, <laughs> that was not the purpose of why you were there. And uh, I still, to this day, I, it, it, still, it still sort of haunts my mind there. But we need to know when, when to have discretion in our life. So we move on now. Verse 6. They're aware of it, and they flee to Lystra and Derby. Now, this is only 30 miles away. Iconium was some 85 miles away. But that was sort of still in the same region. There, is a, uh, there was a, a regional frontier that that 30 miles crossed. So they're sort of like going into a different province. Uh, it would be like going from uh, you know, one state into another, or one province into another in, in Canada, something of that nature. It was only 30 miles away, but it was, there was a natural barrier there. Uh, it'd be like somewhat, uh, you, could, you could live downtown and going to Coleraine is less of a big deal than going two miles across the, the river to be in Kentucky, right? It's sort of a natural barrier. We, in our mind, we just don't cross them that often. And that's what we see here. In verse 7, it says, and the, they preach the gospel. Now, this is just a crazy account. This is one of the, the weirdest accounts that happened to them. And I, I've got to imagine they told this story the rest of their life. And there was a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, this is Paul speaking to him, stand upright on thy feet. And what did he do? And he leaped and walked. There was complete healing. There wasn't like, oh, you're going to get better in, in over five weeks. No, boom, he's jumping up, leaping, walking. 
How would he even know how to walk, right? This is a complete miracle. He's never walked in his life, and now he knows how to walk and jump around. So this is a complete miracle here, okay? Uh, verse 9. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceived... I said that already. Verse, I'm sorry, verse 11. And when Paul saw... what. When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, Praise the Lord? <laughs> no, 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 no. They say, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, or Zeus, and Paul Mercurius, or Mercury here, because he was the chief speaker. Then, the priest of Jupiter just happened to be there, right? Which was before this, their city brought oxen and garlands in, unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. What do they do? What do you do? <laughs> what a crazy situation. How do you respond to this? Well, which when the apostles, Barnabas called an apostle here, and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes. This is, this is a getting the attention, this crying out, uh, and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, He left not himself without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things scarce restrained they the people that they had, done, they had not done sacrifice unto them. Now, I don't know if you saw that. He called what they were doing in verse 15 vanities. Their religion, he is basically sticking it in their face. No, 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 this is not the thing to do. Now, this is interesting. So they go straight to preaching. There's no mention of a synagogue in this city. We don't know. Was there one? Apparently not. Uh, if there was, he caught this, uh, this gentleman first. Uh, but they're, they're preaching in this city. doesn't mention the synagogue. And in verses 8-10, through 10, Paul sees this crippled man listening to his preaching, seeing that he has faith, uh, enough to, enough to get, gain his attention, and he's, he's giving credence to this preaching. And he decides to heal this man. Now, remember, the purpose of these signs and wonders is to, uh, to then give the message some credence to them. I don't know if they're not listening. Maybe they're over in another area and they don't hear him preaching. You know, he's using the Old Testament and he's, he's showing this to them. Uh, through, through the message of Jesus Christ, but they see Him and they look and they, they think they're gods. Lowercase g. Uh, I'm a nerd, big time. I'm a Star Wars nerd. If you look at episode 3, uh, no, sorry, episode 6, C-3PO, they, the, little, the little dudes, the Ewoks, think he's... Uh, the Ewoks? Yeah, they think he's uh, they think he's a god, you know, and they they start hoisting him up. Or, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking about here, you know. They're like they're looking and woohoo! They think he they think Barnabas is Jupiter or Zeus because he's the he's not saying anything. Paul's apparently preaching and 
He's the, he's the leader, and Mercury is just his spokesperson. He's the herald of the king. And where does this come from? Well, this city, they, that was their patron god, was Jupiter. Just so happened in there. And local legend had said that two gods had visited a couple. This is one of their, their just their heritage that they had. That two, visit, two, two gods visiting a couple in Phrygia there rewarded them for their hospitality. So naturally, they're seeing this and oh, they want to go out and they want to do all the things. And the local priest of Jupiter comes out ready with the sacrifice for them. Now, isn't it interesting also, I just point this on the side, is, uh, isn't it interesting that even pagan religions realize the need for a blood sacrifice? They, they, there's, that's just innate in us as human beings. You know, life is in the blood, and, 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 and they, they're going for this. But a miracle with no word, the Word of God attached to it, really is of little worth. Because all these people are doing is they're attaching their belief system to the miracle. So it was very important that Paul connected this with the Gospel. And that's what he starts to do. They rush into the people. They could have just ran, but they don't do that. Or they could have, they could have accepted it and then later said, let me really give you the truth. Right? There's a whole bunch of scenarios that they could have done. But the right scenario is exactly what they're doing. They go in there, rush in, and they, 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 you know, they rent their clothes to get the attention. And he, Paul went right at them, and he tells them their religion is vanity. Now, it's interesting. How, what does he go after? These are, remember, this is not a synagogue, these are Gentiles. So you don't go opening the Old Testament and start sharing about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with them. What does he go after? Look what he says here. Men of like passion preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities to the living God, did what? Which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. He goes straight to creation. He goes to the root of this and builds on what they know. This is something in today's uh, you know, apologetics that we would recommend too. You know, you're going, we're speaking to a nation now that is not much of a Christian nation. We have now two or three generations that know zilch about the Word of God. So do you go after them and start telling them Bible accounts of, of, of you know, the ones you grew up with? Probably not. You probably start with creation and who God is. And you lay, a, you lay a foundation to where then you can show that there was a God, and there's, you know, there's good, there is bad, there is, you know, there is a Creator. And that Creator, you know, the different questions that you would ask from there. And that's what He does. And I think there's something to be learned from that as we look from this, just this first account with the group of people that are strictly Gentiles that we know of, at least at the time. So He rushes in and He points this out to them. And how's this go? <laughs> How do you think this goes? Well, verse 19. Paul's fan club shows up. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, they wanted to make him a... They, they said he was a god. And now in just a short period of time, we don't know how much time went by, but it's a few verses for us, drew him out of the city, supposing 
he had been dead. Supposing he had been dead. Some people think he was dead and rose. I think he was just, they thought he was dead and he really wasn't dead. Uh, it really, it's really not that big of a deal one way or the other, but um, it was to Paul. Uh, here, <laughs> he is, he's left, I mean, they, they're just getting rid of him. They, they stone him, just him, and it's, the next verse is incredible. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. You know how long it was from Lystra to Derby? <laughs> it was 18 miles. He walked 18 miles the day after he was stoned. He is a man's man without a doubt. He never gave up. Brother Rick stressed that at the end of last week's message. You know, many of these things, I, you know, I personally, I would, I'm, I'm out of here. Is this really what God has for me? I mean, they're not listening. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go home. Hey John Mark, did you save me a seat? <laughs> you know? But he doesn't. And uh we thank the Lord for that because he brought the gospel to us, to our ancestors, to the major probably the many of us that are here today. So he goes to Derby, and I, I won't read all those verses, but in Derby they they preached, and then what do they do? It says they headed back. And uh we, verse 21, and when they had preached the, the gospel to that city and, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Then what did they do? And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they preached there this time, they went down to Atelia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples." This is, a, this is a wonderful wonderful thing as you think about these men that are coming back. But they preach the, the Gospel and then they decide to head back. They don't go down. I said that at the beginning of that map. You know, They could have dropped down to Tarsus and then went around there and just gone home and just you know, never crossed the same path. But they decide this same city that he was just stoned in, the same other two cities that they were run out of, they decide we're going to go back. I don't know how, did they sneak in the city? Did they walk in boldly? I don't know. But they go back to these cities and they go back to these churches and they encourage them. Wow, you would have been encouraged just seeing them again. But they encourage them. They're teaching them uh, more of the Word of God. And it says there that uh, in verse 23 that they ordained some to be elders. Uh, these are people going to be in charge in the church. These are some people that are, have shown faith and that are growing in their faith and uh, that are going to be their preachers that, that are going to do that. There were probably other quicker routes, but they don't do that. Um, they were ordained these elders. They prayed and fasted with them. And then back down the mountain range to the seaside and 
stopping along the way and preaching. And when they arrive back in Antioch, they've been gone now, most people estimate they've been gone about a year. Imagine that. A year. This adventure. Hundreds of miles. Mostly on foot that they've walked. Um, And it says they come back to the church in Antioch and they have the first missions conference uh, that's ever been held, right? Uh, I can imagine they, it says they rehearsed what went on there. They're pro- they probably talked about the, the blind magician, uh, the saved ruler, uh, the hundreds of Gentiles that were saved being mistaken as gods. How would that not come up, right? Of the story there. And he probably showed some of his scars from where he was stoned. and The birth of many, many, many churches. This was a year that changed the course of humanity. And I, I, cannot under, I can't say that with enough oomph. It literally changed humanity. The Gospel was taken to the Gentiles. The Gospel was taken outside of the Jerusalem area, the, the Judea, Judea area there. And the Gospel was being proclaimed to whoever would hear it. And it would just continue on from there. This is a major moment in history. And uh, this, this year goes there. Well, we have about 15 minutes to get into ver- chapter 15. Rick, I'm not going to get to all this, brother. I'm sorry. He'll, he'll pick up on next next week. But it would be nice to stop this account here. And hey, everything's great. But what happens typically when we're on a mountaintop? We talked about this in Sunday school last week. Yeah, something. there's going to be an attack. And that's exactly what happens here. Our enemy Satan never stops and he didn't here either. Chapter 15 begins with what is known as the Judaizers. And if you read any of Paul's letters, you'll hear this over and over. These were, uh, I believe most probably were saved Jewish people from Jerusalem. They come up to Antioch and they tell the Gentiles that unless they were circumcised and kept the law that they could not be saved. We'll read, and certain men which came down from Judea, came down, it's just physically the geography there, taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Later on they add the law to that as well. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, Christians, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. And said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of God, the gospel, and believe. This is to Cornelius, if you remember back to that chapter. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. 
What did he do? He put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Okay, I'll come back in just a minute to this. So, it would have been nice to stop here, but we've got this situation here where these, Jew, these Jewish uh, Christians, they come up to here and they're starting to cause havoc among the Gentiles. Uh, and you know, they have to be circumcised or, or they're not. And there's this confusion. Remember, this is the early church. They're ironing out all the, the, this information and details in their heart. As, as many of us have heard all our lives, they're hearing it now for some of the first time. And it is at this time that a lot of people believe Paul could have written Galatians because of the situation that he speaks of in Galatians 2.12. I'm not sure there myself, but a lot of folks believe that might be true. Paul and Barnabas, they, they, Barnabas, they stand up to this. This is heresy. And I, I, would notice, I would tell you to take notice of one thing here. We won't get probably to the end of this, but all of the missionary work is stopped at this point. It just stops. When there is inward strife in the church, when there, is, when there are doctrinal issues in the church, it stagnates the work of God. You hear me talk, that's going to be... Well, you heard it first. That's going to be our next one for our values that we're going to speak about this Sunday. The relationship of the church with the, the faithfulness to the Word of God, if it is not settled, if there is not unity there, the church cannot function the way it's supposed to. And Paul knows this, and he, they, 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 hit it, they, they hit it straight on. Satan's tools have never changed. He uses the same things because they continue to work. And when problems arise, we have to determine, is this a doctrinal problem? Is this a tradition problem? Is this a preference problem? If it's anything other than doctrine, we have to handle it with patience, discernment. But if it's doctrine, it must be dealt with swiftly. It cannot just linger on because it will be a cancer in that church. And we have the early church here. So Paul and Barnabas, they head straight to Jerusalem uh, to this council with the leaders. They're sort of the, the lead church at the time in Jerusalem. And it's led now by... Uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's stepbrother, James, the one that wrote the book of James. And the conference sort of breaks into uh, its verses 4 through 29, and it's broken into three different sessions. There's a public session, then there's a private session of just the apostles and the elders, and then there's another public session that goes on, and we'll see that. And in verses 7-11, through 11, which we just wrote, Paul speaks and he reminds them of the time of Cornelius. The issue here was faith. And it's always faith. All right? And he warned them, don't tempt God. Our dads couldn't do this. Our fathers, our generations, we couldn't do it. Why would we straddle them with this as well? And he gives this straight to them. Grace is unmerited favor. There is nothing we add to that. All right? 
Faith alone here. The law says, do this and you'll live. Grace says, live and then do this from, from that heart. The law put everything on man. Grace put everything on Jesus Christ. And we accept this. Christ merits saved by grace is what we have here. Verse 12, we see Paul and Barnabas, they speak up. I'd, I'd find it interesting, compare uh, verses, uh, I lost it, verse 3 with verse 12. They're going through the territory, they, dis, they explain what has happened to the Gentiles, and to these two cities, in, in Samaria and Phoenix it says, they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Now we get to verse 12. They listen. There's no recorded response at all. It's crickets. Okay. Okay, we'll go to the next part of the meeting here. You know, it's just, there's nothing going on. They, they don't say anything. Don't, I, I don't know if we should read any more into that, but nonetheless, that's what we see here. And then we get to the wisdom of the elder here, the main elder James. Verse 13, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, or Peter here, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them people for His name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. So now he's pulling out prophecy from the Old Testament. After this, this is the prophecy, after this will I return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom My name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. Then he says, Wherefore my sentence is this, my sentence is that we trouble not them from whom among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they should abstain, that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So three things there. And Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, and they, they repeat the same things there after that. So Paul, So James steps up. After this, you know, he's very wise in this. He, he uses what Peter had just said. And then he uses a prophecy in Amos chapter 9, verses 11-12. And he shows here, the Jews are going to come back to God. Now, he doesn't know when. This is, we know as we look back through, through having full Scripture, he's speaking here of the millennial reign. But, this will bring the Jews back to God, but he's then showing that the calling of the Gentiles, this is ordained. All through the Old Testament, we see this is ordained. That's quite an acknowledgement from this Jewish leader. He's a Christian, but this, this council of Jewish Christians, it's quite an acknowledgement that he would see this. So he gives his sentence here on what, what's going to be done. And he realized that there would be Jews in every town. Every town you go to where the gospel is going to be presented, uh, there's going, this problem is going to keep coming up. So let us do some things for the Gentiles. And I want, we want you to do three things. The first one is uh, abstain from meat that's offered to idols. 
That was a spiritual issue for them. Then there was the moral issue of fornication. It was part of the culture of that time. Pagan temples, that was, that was part of it. And, and he says, we, you need to abstain from that. That's, you know, that's a moral issue. It's, it should be avoided. And then there was the ritual issue of blood. Jews were forbidden to eat blood. This would have been a stumbling block to any Jew trying to come to know Christ as their Savior. Now, this is a noble decision that the Holy Spirit puts on, on James' heart here. And we will reach the next Christian step in our life, if you want to think of that, uh, as we grow in our faith, when we learn to control our liberties as a Christian. And that's really what this speaks of. Uh, the whole first part of 1 Corinthians, uh, when we've been doing this series, was that. It was talked about some of these exact same things. Is learning to put self-control on our Christian liberties. And that will help us not to be uh, stumbling blocks to those around us, to a young Christian or to a lost person uh, from coming to know Christ. So we have to know. You know, There are some things where... Uh, I always like to use the, the alcohol example. You, know, if, if you may have zero issue with alcohol at, at all. You could go into a restaurant and, or, or a bar situation and you could order the hot wings and sit right at the bar and it would have no issue for you at all. It would have no temptation for, for you to fall into, into some sort of alcoholic addiction or, or, or not. But that person that's watching you and your faith it could cause them to be a major stumbling block in their life. I don't need that. I just There's certain things we just stay away from. There's no need for that in our life, even though we would have the freedom to do that. That's a simple example. I just thought I'd throw that out. So the church leaves. They give them these letters saying this, and they send Paul and Barnabas and two other guys, which one of them we're going to find out next week, stays with the crowd. And they go and sort of address this. It's not just Paul and Barnabas. Look, they came from the council. Listen to this. And this will be then sent throughout all the churches. And that's where we end this tonight. And the letters read, in verses 22-29 through 29, we see this, and they're relieved. And what happens? The work starts to continue again. That's the key part here. Is when, it, when that occurs the work starts to occur again as you read through those verses. We cannot allow those types of things to come in our path. We have to take care of them right away. And the big thing is determining, is this doctrinal? Is this a preference? And sometimes we will let a preference get to that level. No, 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 no. That's not. And knowing the, the difference between those is the battle in our life. We need to stick with the Word of God and make the, that the primary source of what we're, we're standing for in our life. All right, we dismiss with that. Let's pray. Dear gracious and heavenly, gracious heavenly Father, I thank You for this night. And I thank You for this series Brother Rick's been doing. And uh, as we open the book of Acts, that we would learn from the very first steps of the church and the very first steps of missions and how to reach folks and uh, just um, the priorities we should have as a church as well. Be with us now. Guide us through the rest of this week and bring us back safely on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.